We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Bills make me wanna. We're all here tonight because we all support Donald Trump and, and some things that I want to say. There you go. Absolutely. There's so much that I admire about Mr. Trump, but one thing I really admire about him is, you know what? He's He'll say what's on his mind. And so many times, you'll see people, a lot of people want to say the same thing. But there's a big difference. They don't have the courage to say it. They all think it, but they don't have the courage to say it. And Donald Trump certainly has the courage to say it. And that's what I respect. And you know what? So do the people of New York. Everybody, welcome to the Rock Pile Report. This is Drew Gear, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder. That's Chris Kruger, my producer. And that was Rex Ryan from the Donald Trump rally in which he introduced Trump to the citizens of Buffalo. <laughs> I'm not here to argue politics. Okay. All I know is it's a first for me personally because I've never seen a Bills head coach involved in anything like this. Then our audio was actually harvested from Scout.com and was posted by Ryan Talbot, who's going to be joining us on the show here later tonight. Yeah, Buffalo, BuffaloFootballReport.com. Yeah, we're going to be talking, we're going to be talking draft and all things Buffalo Bills with Ryan Talbot. But it's 420 today, people. Now I'm here with a beer because all of that's not really my bag. But cheers to the rest of you who are celebrating. And no, Chris, I do not mean Hitler's birthday. That was my ex-wife's thing. <laughs> 420. So you mean she was celebrating Hitler's birthday? She I does. She it. celebrates that every single day of her life. I can see it. With her criminal boyfriend. <laughs> oh, my God. Listen. Listen. We don't. We don't God, need to go there. God forbid he show up here and try to prove how he's not a criminal by doing something that's actually illegal. God forbid. 
Anyway, hilariously enough, even some players were already getting out there in the media. I mean, Le'Veon Bell tweeted out earlier today, quote, here, here was his tweet. Of course I get a quote-unquote random drug test on 420. Good luck with that sample. Now, I don't know about you guys, but for a guy who's already been in trouble for smoking dope once, he sounds pretty cavalier about all of this. My assumption is that this was the next phone call he had to make. Excuse me. Sorry. Sean, have you seen my piss? My parole officer called. He wants that piss. <laughs> also, just in before the start of our podcast, Josh Norman has officially had his franchise tag rescinded and is now an unrestricted free agent. Tell me who's covering Julio Jones. Who's covering Mike Evans? I don't know, but here's what I do. Here's my hot take. All right, there's, Skip Bayless, hit there, us with your hot take. There is something going on here that we don't know about yet. Because if you, th- if you're, a, I'm sorry, that's just the only thing I, I can think of. Because if you think that you have the team and you have the talent to repeat as a Super Bowl contender, it makes zero sense to jettison the the best player from your defense last season. Just because, and this is the, the line of reasoning they're going with, or at least that they're saying publicly, is that, they couldn't get him signed to a long-term deal. Teams who think that they're close, that Super Bowl title means everything. You you spend to the cap, okay, and then worry about everything else. Let the chip later. Let the chips fall where they may. As John Elway and the Broncos, they did it last year. They knew they were maxed out. They knew they weren't going to be able to resign half the guys who were on that defense, but they didn't care. They went all in on their D and they wrote it to a title. Now, if I'm a GM of a football team and I know I have the cap room to have this guy sign his franchise tag and that we're going to go into next year with his services and still have room during the offseason to do other things, if you weren't going to tag him, then you shouldn't have tagged him back at the beginning and use that money to make your team better. So the fact that they're pulling it now, once most of the free agent moves that I mean could have possibly been moved have made have already been made, it just makes me think that there's something else coming here, something going on with Josh Norman that makes this a smart move. Because otherwise, their GM is an idiot, and I don't think that. I've heard this question proposed before. When you get when you get your your uh, your cap limit, like, would you take would you take a Super Bowl and or Stanley Cup? In one season, just one, knowing that for the next five seasons, five to ten seasons, you're going to be at the bottom of the league in last or near last place. Because I would take I would take that deal all day long for Sabers or for the Bills. But the problem is we're we're fans of teams who have traditionally done that, if not worse. <laughs> so it's it's different for people who've never won to say that. Now ask a team like the Steelers. Do you want to go five years without knowing that you have a shot at a Super Bowl when you're traditionally used to at least being in competition for a Super Bowl? It, it changes everyone's dynamic in the way that they look at it. So there's really no way to know that. But enough about NFL news. Let's get on with the, this week's Buffalo news, Buffalo Bills news update. Now, as you heard in our intro, Rex Ryan introduced Donald Trump at his rally here. Again, I'm not going to debate anybody over politics. I think it's stupid. It's a waste of my time and energy. But here's what I do know. 
The fact that the reason that they came up with from both quotes from Trump and quotes from Rex Ryan for respecting each other is that, quote unquote, he says what's on his mind slash feels like it. It all just seems kind of stupid. But you poor losers in my book. I do. I do and say what I want. I say what's on my mind. I'm pretty cavalier. For the most part, people just think I'm a jerk off. Yeah, you're willing to, for me, because you love me, fight my wife's boyfriend. I said it. I'll do and say whatever's on my mind. And so at that point, I don't know what. So then does that mean Rex Ryan's going to come be my buddy? Is he going to intro me somewhere because he respects me for saying whatever the hell I want, regardless of how intelligent it may be? I don't know. The whole thing just seems stupid. Up next is LaShawn McCoy. Something that I'd already shoveled dirt over and forgotten about. His case has been sent to the state state district attorney now. Well, I shouldn't say the state AD for further review because the Philly PD used their political leverage and kept this case, which had already been shut down by the district attorney of Philadelphia, somehow found a way to keep it going. Now, this is a move that's totally unprecedented. It doesn't. After all the news reports I've read about it and all the all the research I've done on the situation, it almost never happens that a state attorney is willing to overturn the decision decision of a district attorney because it completely undermines that district attorney's authority from that point forward. So if if the state, you know, the solicitor general of Pennsylvania decides that they're going to step in and they're going to say, you know what, there should be charges filed here. And Philly's, you know, Philly's DA got it wrong. From that point forward, Philly's DA is done. The credibility shot, I would be shocked to see if they weren't eventually replaced within the next year or two. I just think it's, it makes them look weak. And I don't know, it, it's just a bad look for Pennsylvania as a whole. Well, since they're taking a second look at it, do you feel the NFL will take a second look at it as far as oh, absolutely. The suspension? Oh, 100%. I think that if the state were to decide to bring about charges, that reopens the NFL's case on it because now they have to look at it and say, okay, if a guy gets arrested for assault, we have to do something. Then the NFL has almost an obligation to do something, considering this hardline stance Cadell's taken on suspensions. Mario Williams made press this week with comments about how, unlike two, in 2015, this year he's going to give 100%. That's spoken like a true asshole. Now, I don't know about anybody else out there who was watching the Buffalo Bills last year, but I know there was a couple times where not even being in the stands, being at home, I've thrown beer cans at the TV. That guy frustrated the hell out of me because he gave no effort. Zero effort. If he were to ramp up, let's say he gave 200% effort this year compared to last year, he'd still be half of a football player. The guy's a clown. And the, this, is, this is the exact reason why Houston didn't put up a fight for his services when we signed him initially. Because they knew Mario Williams is a player who, yes, he's physically gifted. He's everything you want in a defensive end when he wants to be that guy. And when he doesn't want to be that guy, he is more than happy to sit back and just watch everything fall apart because he doesn't care. I like how that a lot of Bills fans are all irritated with uh, with him leaving and signing in Miami. But for me, it's we signed him when he was 27, mm-hmm. 28. 
So we got him from 28 to 31, which is probably typically your prime for being a pro football player. And now Miami is getting him, it's going to be on starting with the back end of his career. So Miami can have, Miami can have fun with that. The fact that they paid him $8 million, $8 million a year in a two year deal. And the fact that they cut Vernon. Now, it doesn't. The young defensive end walked. They let him go. And they bring in Mario Williams. That's fine. But but now the question is, what, what do you do? You have no young DNs on your roster. That's you have my, no my point exactly. Unless you're a Super Bowl contender and you think you're going to win it in the next two years, you can't afford to not have developmental depth at those positions. So what that means is that if they don't win the if they don't win a title this year or next year, they're setting themselves up for a situation where they're going to walk into. Season three or four years down the road from now. Tannehill, cut. They're not going to have any defensive line presence. No Cameron Wake, no Mario Williams. <laughs> what, do, what do they do then? Do they have any talent elsewhere? No, but you know Me- what they'll Miko, do? What about Miko Grimes? The, they'll do... Is she even... <laughs> wait, Miko Grimes. Miko Grimes. I forget. Women are not in the <laughs> NFL. Women don't play NFL football. I'll tell you what. I'd, I'd be less afraid of... <laughs> I'd be more afraid to fight Miko Grimes than Mario Williams at this point. <laughs> oh, the Bills this week signed a couple. Well, this past week signed a couple players, uh, depth special teamers, Colt Anderson and Lorenzo Alexander. Okay, that's a huge signing for our depth. Alexander was the NFC special teams election to the Pro Bowl in 2012. Now the guy's good at what he does, and he comes on a. I, I would say it's like it's close to a veteran minimum price. So what that does is we just replace Booby Dixon's special teams presence, but we didn't have to pay $3 million a year for it. That's huge. That's a win for our front office. Now, wasn't, wasn't one of these guys involved with that weird Monday night Colts <laughs> or Giants? Colt Anderson was involved with the, the, the worst, worst play trick play in ever. NFL history. Ever. It, it all comes back to Griff Whalen missing practice that week on the day when they installed the audible out of that play. So when Griff Whalen came into that Monday Night Football game and didn't know any better, the thing was you were supposed to see if the, if the Patriots bid on it. And if they didn't, you were supposed to call this audible and get out of the play. But Griff Whalen missed that day. So he came out and played that game, didn't know the audible, the clock's running down, and he didn't know what to do, so he snapped it. And that was the end of it. <laughs> One of the most unfortunate looking plays in NFL history. Uh, NFL, if NFL Network does their like top ten show, mm-hmm. top ten worst plays ever. This has to be in the top five. Where top five? I, I'm giving a top five. One of the worst. One of the worst. worst <laughs> he looks. Like, the worst ever. is you see Griff Whalen looking from sideline to sideline. Like he's even looking to the Patriots bench for help. He's like, guys, what, what do I do? And then he snapped it. <laughs> oh Christ! All right. Well, one free agent though who won't be signing with the Bills or anybody else for that matter is Percy Harvin. Because he's decided to hang up the cleats and call it a call it a career. I can't say that I blame him. I mean, he's just sustained a myriad of injuries throughout the course of his career. Hip problems, knee problems, back problems, concussion issues, 
I think it's the hip. I think the hip, hip is probably the worst of it. Hip is the key. Well, because think about it. If you're a guy whose game consists of running and you have a bum hip, it doesn't matter what kind of stretching you do, what kind of exercise you do. That hip is never going to get better because it's always going to be in use. It's always going to be in. And it's not the fact. Of, it's the fact of how the Bills would use Percy Harvin. Yeah, he's going to be our number two, but you know, just from that standpoint, you don't know how how that's going to last throughout the season. Because based on last year, <clears throat> didn't last that long before he was injured. His main things is the punt return game and the kickoff game, and that's where you have to run and have hips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if his hip is not where it needs to be, retire. One of the things that he can do while he's retired is he can, if he was interested, maybe he can sign with the WWE and become a wrestler, in which now I have to call out our friends at AFC East Bros Podcast, Kyle and Gary Smith. All right, so Chris has been dying to get this out there. I listened to their podcast earlier today at work, and Gary just sent me off the edge. They had Keith Beebe on from the Finsider, and they started talking about pro wrestling. And Gary and Keith gave their top five all-time wrestlers. And I have, before we uh, even get into this, let me troll Gary here with Yokozuna's theme, who Gary, Gary had said Yokozuna was his, was fourth greatest all-time. Are you kidding me? All right, so... I get this text message, I'm sitting at my desk at work, and this kid is losing his mind. Chris is just texting me about how mad he is, about Yokozuna being a top 10 wrestler. Not even top Top 10, top 5. Gary's got him number 4. Without looking at anything, without thinking of anything, I I took 3 minutes and sat down and gave Chris a list of my top 10 wrestlers off the top of my head, in the middle of doing my job, middle of the day, no real thought put into it, just the guys when I think of best wrestlers ever. Yokozuna's not in the top 25. So the fact that Kyle Smith is high enough, it must be 420. If Kyle Smith is high enough to put Yokozuna in his top five wrestlers ever, that's a joke, Gary. That is a huge joke. I wouldn't even have him number one in my top five wrestlers that weighed over 400 pounds. I wouldn't have him in top five wrestlers from China. (laughs) I don't even think he is from China. If, <laughs> top five. If we're talking, if we're talking top five like fat guys, number one without a question would be Bam Bam Bigelow. Just because whoa, he can, whoa, 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 King Kong Bundy. No, okay, Bam Bam Bigelow with you, King Kong Bundy. Bam Bam. Then followed Bam, by George the Animal Steel. Bam. No, I don't even know if they weigh. Those over, guys would whoop Bam Bam Bigelow's ass. I don't even know if they weighed over like three hundred and fifty pounds. Holy shit! King Kong Bundy was called King Kong Bundy because he was one of the biggest guys in the universe at the time. Bam Bam Bigelow could do a perfect moonsault. That is why he is number one. I discount him because he wore the, the basically the adult version of footy pajamas when he wrestled. <laughs> it was a giant. It was a fat man trapped in a spandex onesie. I'm not. I'm not a fan of that. You're not. Here, for give me your your top five wrestlers of all time. I know that you had you had texted me them earlier, and I. If I have to go top five, 
if I really, really had to top five off the top of my head, Stone Cold Steve Austin. At number five. This number, is a countdown. No, so number five. Down the list. Number five, I'm going to say Bruno San Martino. Okay? I'm going old school. Why? Because he held it as a little kid who grew up with my grandfather and my uncle watching wrestling every weekend when I was over there with them. You're talking about a guy who held the title forever. 2,000 some odd days he was the champ. That guy was the man. Everyone loved Bruno San Martino. He would wreck people. Yeah, this is old school wrestling. San Martino pre-Hulk Hogan. Yeah. After that, I feel like it's got to be... I'd put Stone Cold Steve Austin number four because he had like he he was the Attitude Era of the WWF. No question, he the, was the, the Attitude story Era storyline with with fighting your owner mm-hmm. Vince McMahon. Brilliant for the whole ninety nine two thousand year. I'm gonna go with Mick Foley slash Mankind above Stone Cold Steve Austin because when you think of when, you th- when I think back to my childhood and all of the crazy, oh my God, I can't believe I just watched that matches, a lot of them involved him just just getting his head kicked in or dropped onto some weird stuff. Or- Plus all his matches in New Japan, barbed wire matches with Terry Funk. Oh yeah, the guy was a, the guy was a lunatic. So for me, he makes it. He's tougher than half the guys who are in the WWE now or even before that. I'd say four... You got to go with Ric Flair, right? Ric Flair. He was the quintessential wrestler. He's cocky. He showboats. He's a pretty boy. When no, he wins and no mention Rick. of Ric Flair on AFC East Bros podcast in anybody's top five. And that irritated the hell out of me. And The Undertaker would be number one because the guy, even though he's been played by three different people, he is <laughs> that character just is timeless. Just the quiet I'm going to walk in there and beat some ass and do it without a whole lot of pomp and circumstance. I'm not going to talk smack. I'm just going to come out and wreck people. See, now, Gary's overall top five. Five, Kevin Nash. Four, Yokozuna. Three, Steve Austin. Two, The Rock. And number one, Hulk Hogan. I wouldn't even have Hulk Hogan in my top See, five. I didn't he put, doesn't know how to wrestle. I didn't put Hulk Hogan in my top five because technically, I, and I love Hulk Hogan, but he's not a very, he's not a good wrestler. He, no, he was a he great showman. Exactly. He was a great showman. He could do mic work. He knew how to work a crowd. Yeah, if, it, if you're talking about top Hulking 10, he's up. in it. If he's in it in the top 10, but top five, he's not in it. No. One, like For me, hey. I, I used to have this argument with this guy I used to work with who would I would say, I would say, this is the best gimmick ever. And then he would always bring it back to wrestling and he had no titles. It was the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. The best gimmick in <laughs> oh, pro wrestling he, ever. He and Virgil together with his bouncer Virgil. He was one of my favorites, though. And nobody mentioned that he owned a slave. <laughs> oh, my God. All I know is that Drew Gear 316 says, Gary, my picks just beat your picks ass. Yeah. And that's the bottom line because Drew Gear said so. I'm saying with all due respect, that idea ain't worth a velvet painting of a whale and a dolphin getting it off. All right, everybody. And as I mentioned earlier, I've got Ryan Talbot from Scout.com here with me. Ryan, why don't you say a few words about what you guys do over at Scout.com? You know, we're trying to just give Bills fans 
any and all types of coverage of the Bills. So whether it's player news, whether it's just popular stories that are going on relating to the Bills, we try to give a nice mix of on-the-field and off-the-field news at Buffalo Football Report. Yeah, it's, the URL is www.scout.com slash NFL slash Bills. And they have a ton of content. I was just joking around with Ryan before we came on that not even 20 minutes before he came on with us, he posted another article. And I think that's their th- at least third or fourth of the day. There's a lot of fresh content. So if you guys want, feel free to go there and check it out. Now, Ryan, a little bit about you. How long have you been blogging and podcasting about the Buffalo Bills? You know, I, I want to say I'm going on five or six years now. Uh, I, I've made the round, so to speak. I, I started out writing for a, uh, a small blog um, underneath, under a guy named Mike Straw. And from there, Bleacher Report reached out to me. Um, and, and that was before the Bleacher Report that we know now and how, you know, that's pretty much exploded since. Mm-hmm. But I, I was at Bleacher Report. I've Buffalo Bills Draft, which was affiliated with USA Today. Um, very quick cup of coffee with Pro Football Focus's uh, fantasy division. Uh, just pretty much one article there. And it was one of those things where we didn't see eye to eye on on what we were doing. But bounced around a little bit here and there, built mafia.com for quite a while i really enjoyed that and and now at scout.com man you've really made the rounds i mean it's it's well, incredible the the amount of content you've generated over the years i appreciate that thank you yeah and uh well we've just heard in in recent weeks because i you know i go to the buffalo football report.com you guys have just you guys have just started um Using somebody from WGR is now a writer. Can you can you speak a little to that? Yeah, Nate Geary's come aboard as, as a writer. Very talented guy on the radio. Was very happy to have him reach out, and I'm, I'm glad to have him aboard as a writer. Now I got to ask you, what is if you have every Bills fan has their one moment? What if you can pick out one? What is your favorite moment as a Bills fan? You know, it would actually be the comeback game. Uh, I I wish I could say I was in attendance for that, but that's not the case. I I was at my aunt's house, and those were back in the days where if you had a satellite dish, it was about the size of a swimming pool. Oh, yeah. And and my aunt had one of those dish, uh, a dish like that in her yard, so she could actually pick up that Bills game because it was blacked out, actually. Mm -hmm. So we were up there, and it was at halftime, and I still remember to this day, my mom was trying to convince my, my father and myself and my brother that we should just go home. The game was over. It's a blowout. No point in staying. And we were able to convince her to stay. And then sure enough, you know, score after score after score, although she really did want to leave after that pick six to start the second half. <laughs> um, but, if, you know, it's one of those things where it's a great memory for me to look back on and it's one of those things where my mom would have never lived it down if we would have left and gone home from that game. So that's one of my favorite memories that I can always remember. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember there was a night here. I'm. <laughs> it may have been the beer. I, I still maintain that there was something in my eyes. But we were talking about ours, and I got a little teary when we were talking about that. I was a young kid. We were listening to it on the radio. My parents still threw a party. Because that, those were the days of the old hi-fi systems with the big stack speakers, and you had the record player with the radio, and 
It was crazy. And they still threw a party like they did for every other game, even though it was blacked out on TV. And that game is something I'll never forget. Now, do you attend games? Do you go or do you prefer to watch at home? Do you have media credentials? (laughs) (laughs) You know, the media credentials for the game, we haven't had much luck with. Um, I've had some luck with training camps. Uh, A few years ago, I was actually given press credentials for the Hall of Fame when Andre Rita was inducted. So some hit and miss success there. Uh, I I like to go to about maybe one or two games a year, but in terms of covering the team, it's a lot easier for me to do from my living room, watch the game. And and it's also that I'm I'm big into the fantasy football, so it's also nice to be able to stay at home and keep track of that while I'm watching the games, which is somewhat difficult to do in stadium. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm huge into fantasy football, and one of the things that kills me is that home games on a Sunday become just a black hole for fantasy football. I set my roster. I have no clue what happens until probably about 6 or 7 o'clock that night. <laughs> so by then, either I've lost or I've won, it just I, I can't keep up with it. Because when you're at the stadium, it's just there's so much going on and you're focused on the game. And So I can definitely see where if that's your focus, yeah, being at home. Plus you're more comfortable <laughs> when it's 20 degrees outside. You're nice and comfortable. It definitely has its perks. What is your favorite game day snack? I know it seems like an obscure question, but again, these are things I ask because I, I like to get to know people we bring. <laughs> and we, you know, it tells me a little bit about who you are as a person. You know, my wife makes a really good chicken wing dip. Um, and she's not someone that likes spicy food, so it's also something that I get the majority of. So that works out in my benefit as well. So yeah, the, the chicken wing dip would be my favorite game day snack. That sounds like a giant W for you. It really is. <laughs> if she she makes it and then doesn't eat most of it, and you're like, oh well, I I mean, I guess, I guess, since it's here, I'm obligated. <laughs> oh, so we're gonna move forward. And we're gonna talk a little bit about your take this season on the Buffalo Bills roster. Now, we've talked about it in other episodes of the podcast, but I want to know from your standpoint, what do you think is the Bills' largest position of strength on this roster? You know, I would probably say running backs, definitely one of the greatest strengths. You have LaShawn McCoy, who, fingers crossed, will not have any kind of suspension, and hopefully he stays healthy this year. You have Carlos Williams behind him. They just picked up Mike Gillisley off the street last year, and he came in, and, and you know, on, on runs outside of the tackles, he was very successful, not so much inside the tackles. Um, and... You, you don't know what's going to happen behind the top three there, but they did pick up um, oh, I'm blown, like James Wilder, who you never know. He could stick out as a practice squad guy, and then if an injury happens, he could get promoted. So I, I really like their one through three there. I think they have a talented fourth. Uh, uh, also, I, I really do like that they have some quality depth at cornerback. That It could be better, but they have a solid one through three. I, I think that this some of the additions they made in free agency will help as well, and I think they'll also draft one more in the draft as well. So I think cornerback on defense, running back on offense. Nice. Now, if you had – I mean, I agree with you for the most part. Their running back stable is stacked. No one saw Gillesley coming out. I mean, that game he had against the Cowboys. Nobody saw that out of him. You know, he didn't – I believe he was on the Ravens, correct? 
I'm trying to think. I, I I don't think he was. I know he was with the Dolphins for one point, and then I want to say he kind of was out of the league almost, or maybe maybe he was hitting on a practice squad somewhere, and then the Bills were able to pick him up. It may have been the Ravens. I, I'm kind of blanking on that. I know he was he was with the Dolphins originally. Mm-hmm. That game against the Cowboys was kind of eye-opening because, like you said, outside of the tack, inside of the tackles, he didn't do much. But those couple times he got free in open space, he has some wheels. And it, you know, to know that we've got that guy on the roster, at least it gives us options. You know, if it's if Shady has something happen to him, I know I'm not, you know, I'm not going to jump off the Bills bandwagon because Shady's injured because I know we have Carlos Williams and Gillisley. We have people behind him, so we're we're definitely deep there. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Going into this year, now that we know that we have what we have in Gillisley, that's that's a strong third running back. Most teams can't say they have a running back like that for their third string guy. Not at all. Now, what do you think is our biggest position of weakness? You, you know, I would say just along. It's kind of vague, but I'd say along the front seven. They they really need to address that. Um, that was a very disappointing area last year where that was that was supposed to be the big thing in Rex Ryan's defense. They had Mario Williams, they had Jerry Hughes, they had Kyle Williams, Marcel Darius, and it was supposed to be this great defense. Uh, and I know they were transitioning obviously to a, a hybrid defense, but it was such a disappointment. Where now you know, do they add another defensive end to replace Mario? Do they add a nose tackle so they can move Marcel Darius? to defensive end where I think he would be better utilized. Um, Are they looking for a guy who can eventually replace Kyle Williams? And then a linebacker, boy, you know, A.J. Tarpley retires. They cut Tony Stewart. They're they're very thin at inside linebacker, but they also need some talent at, at edge rusher as well. So that front seven is a major glaring weakness. Now, uh, Ryan, with when you say the front seven is a major weakness, with our draft, with the whole draft as a whole, that is one of the, that's the biggest position, uh, like depth in the draft this year. Do you see them going that way in the first round, knowing that they could probably get maybe a second, third, fourth round guy with first round talent? You know, I, I do. I still think they're going to take defense in the first round. I think what they need to desperately find in that first round is a guy that. They can that can be an edge rusher, um, and if you can find someone that's also versatile and can do more than just be an edge rusher, that that's an extra bonus. But you're right; you could get a defensive tackle or a guy that could play nose or a defensive end in a three-four in the third, fourth round of this draft, and they could instantly come in and contribute with the Bills. That's how deep it is along the defensive line this year. Well, considering how deep this draft is on defense, it's surprising to me. And I was going to talk about this earlier, but I saved it for when we had you on. Because I want to pick your brain about this. It's, I mean, it's the story of the day. So I'd be a jerk if I didn't say anything about it. The Eagles moved up today. Now, they're a team that already moved up to from 13 to 8, you know, with a trade with the Dolphins. And that was a big move. To move up five spots in the first round, that's, con- that's considered by draft trade measurements a big swing. Now they've given up this year's first, next year's first, a fourth-round pick in 2017, and a second-round pick in 2018 to get the number two pick in the draft. I guess what I'm, what I want to pick your brain about is, you know, 
What do you think this means? I mean, clearly they're taking a quarterback, right? You know, I would like to think that, and I'll be shocked if they don't, but Howie Roseman made a really peculiar statement today. He said, we don't know who's being taken by the Rams with the first overall pick, but we know who we're taking. Well, that's odd to me because the Rams are 100% taking a quarterback. And if they're saying they don't know who the Rams are taking, but they're certain who they're taking at number two, well, how can they? How do they know that it's not going to be Wentz or it's not going to be Goff at number one? Are they saying that maybe maybe it's a shock and they have Paxton Lynch higher? And I don't think they would have had to move up from eight to one to get Lynch, so I don't think that's the case. But it was a very odd statement. You don't sell the farm, which they did with all those picks, to take a defensive guy either in their case. Uh, Bradford, you know, he, he signed the extension. They, they signed Chase Daniel to a pretty lucrative deal for a backup quarterback, too. So now you're talking about a guy that they're bringing in that might be their third quarterback as a rookie, but someone that they could actually bring along slowly, which I wish more teams would do. Give them, give at least a rookie one year on the bench to learn. If you could give them two, that's that could be even better for him. So I'm thinking it's a quarterback. I'd be shocked if it wasn't, but that was just such an odd statement from Roseman today. Now, uh, when I when I'm at work during the afternoon, I spend a lot of time listening to Colin Cowherd, and from his show, from his show, he has said that from his sources, L.A. is taking Goff over Wentz. Do you feel the that the Rams are leaning the same way? You know, I would think so. I like both quarterbacks. I don't know if either of them are guys that you would take one and two overall, but this is a quarterback-driven league, and you need to take the guys if you think that they are the guy. Um, Goff, I think, could could really excel. I think one the biggest concern about him is his hand size, but I think in certain places, such as Los Angeles, he'll be fine there. Uh, Carson Wentz, the Bills did a lot of homework on Carson Wentz. They, I guess they were the team that um, showed up to to watch him or to, to see him in, in person more than almost any other team, according to North Dakota State. But not at that point when they were doing that, they obviously didn't know that he was going to be in the first early first-round conversation. So I like both guys, and I, and I, I think that maybe the Philadelphia does know that Wentz is who's going to be available at number two. Now, when you talk about hand size, I remember a couple of years ago that there were people within the Bills organization that loved E.J. Manuel's hand size, that he could grip the football and and throw through the wind here in uh, Western New York. But I mean, I don't really, I don't know if I really buy into the the whole hand size, the whole hand size thing. I don't know what I do. What I know is that when you look at Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, you see that one of them. Even I mean, not even to speak to football skill, Carson Wentz is much more physically developed than Jared Goff is. Jared Goff, he's kind of a lean athlete. He's a smaller guy, whereas Wentz is more filled out. I think if any, I really think it comes down to, and I've heard some other pundits talk about it, it's the beating that these kids are going to take. You have to be big enough to stand up to the beating you're going to take as an NFL quarterback because when you don't get hit on every play, but when you do get hit, you have to be able to get up from it. That's the reason that Ben Roethlisberger is still in the league. The guy is just a tank. He gets hit all the time, but he has the ability to keep getting up and just going to the next play. So when you look at a guy like Tyrod Taylor, I can see why our our scouts would look at a guy like Carson Wentz and say, oh my God, this guy, he's big, he's physical, he can throw. 
Let's look at him and if he's available in the second round or late first round, maybe he's a consideration. When they started talking about him going at the top of the draft, that's too high. I, I, Chris and I have gone back and forth on his, you know, I've, I've watched his tapes. I've watched what he's done. I just, he's, he and Jared Goff both scare me as number one and number two picks. But like you said, it's a quarterback driven league, Ryan. So <laughs> you have to, if the, you think that that's your guy, then you got to go get him. One of the things that I find interesting is that the Eagles gave up a lot less than the, Redskins did to trade up to number two to get RG3. Now, why do you think that was? You know, I I can't say for sure, but right after that first overall pick <clears throat> was traded, there was news out about, you know, the Browns are willing to move and it and they wouldn't it wouldn't cost nearly as much to move move up to the second overall pick. So maybe it's just one of those things where they're saying that this draft is so um Depth-wise, is so strong, especially on the defense side of the ball. Maybe teams just feel confident that they can get their guy or a guy that can come in and contribute right away anywhere from maybe you know the top 20, 30 picks in this draft. You can get a guy that can come right in. So maybe teams aren't as prone to wanting to move up this year. It's not a weak. Uh, it's not a weak class where you have to move up to get your guy right away. You you can kind of sit back and. and you know what your needs are, and you're saying, okay, if, if so-and-so's off the board, we still have this guy, this guy, and this guy. So I think maybe the strength of this draft, especially on the defensive side of the ball, is so good that it, it's not causing teams to panic and feel like they have to move up. So for that reason, maybe uh, the Browns didn't get as much as they could have in another uh, a year. That's You know what? That makes a lot of sense. I'll be honest with you, it does. I guess the last question that I have is this. what In what hilarious fashion can the Browns botch this group of multiple picks that they'll have in the next couple drafts? With Julio, yeah. with Sammy, they pissed away all those picks. Most of the guys that they took aren't even in football anymore. You know, you're right, and that's the scary part. You know, the Browns fans should be feeling actually pretty good about this trade. The picks that they have, the holes that they have and the players that they couldn't have. But in the back of their minds, they have to be thinking, oh, my gosh, right now we could, ha- we could have Julio Jones. We could have Sammy Watkins. Um, you know, they could have Josh Gordon if he could pass a drug test. But they could have one of the greatest wide receiver units in, in the entire league right now if they decided to just stay put and, and take their guy. And instead, you know, they've moved back and, and acquired all these picks, and, and they've done an awful job with their – with the acquisition of talent that they've added to their team. The one good thing I'll say is I'm a big Hugh Jackson fan. Uh, when the Bills had their opening, I was actually kind of rooting for Hugh Jackson before I found out Rex Ryan was interviewing everything so else. I. I like the guy. I'll be I honest. think he's a good I like mind, Hugh. and I think that he's the type of guy who is going to add some really good offensive pieces to the Browns that fit what they need. And I think that they're on the right track, and they can also find some good pieces on defense. So I actually do like the moves that the Browns are making in terms of their front office, in terms of their coaching staff. And, I, you know, I'm kind of pulling for them that they can actually get this right and hit on a few of those picks. So do you think that this trade is a win for the Browns? I do. Uh, if they aren't confident that one of those two quarterbacks, Goff or Wentz, is the guy, then move back, add all those other picks, especially in such a deep draft as we've been saying. Take, those, take maybe uh, an offense. 
defensive stud early with one of those picks that you want. But then you can add those defensive, you can fill those defensive holes second, third, fourth round, and they have a, a plethora of picks that they can use to either stay put, move up, or even trade again another pick and move down a little bit more and even add more picks. And here is what he had to say on the situation. The Browns get a worse first-round pick. They swap a fourth. They get one this year. The Eagles get one next year from Cleveland. So in essence, all the Browns got for a franchise quarterback was a third-round pick, 77th, a first-round pick next year, and a second-round pick two years from now? That's it? That's all you got? A first-rounder and a second-rounder and a third-rounder. God, Cleveland, you would screw up your own funeral. Now, I'll be 100% honest. I can see your point of view, too. I'm with you that if they – I'm not sold on either one of these quarterbacks, but clearly other scouts out there see something that I don't and think that these guys – I mean, I think Carson Wentz could be a franchise quarterback if he overcomes his footwork issues because that's, to me, one of his biggest things. He he gets in the pocket when pressure gets heavy – he just gets sloppy with his footwork. And in playing the FBS level of football, you're not playing the top defenses in the country. That will get you killed at the NFL level. So, well, I, in Goff, I guess I just haven't looked at enough of Goff. I just don't see anything special out of him. So, I'm, I'm, Inclined to believe that the Browns probably saw what I saw and said, hey, neither one of these guys are the guy. Let's get something and then let's get some free picks. We'll pick later. But if one of those guys turns out to be a franchise quarterback and RG3 turns out not to be the answer, I think that this could serve to just set their franchise back even farther because they'll find themselves in the same boat the Bills have been in. If you don't have a stud quarterback, you don't make the playoffs in this league. And the if you don't have a stud quarterback and you make the playoffs, it means that you have a great team and you played a weak schedule. Look at the Chiefs. The Chiefs kind of coasted. The Bills almost beat them. And then they made the playoffs. And then they got past a weak Houston team, which is probably the weakest of all the playoff teams. And then they got just beat up by the Patriots. The Patriots just chewed them up. I, mean, I don't know. What do you think about that? You know, I can see it from both sides. I really do. Uh, but at the same time, you have to trust your your scouts. You have to trust your, your coaching staff, front office, and everything else. And if they want to give RG3 one year to see if Hugh Jackson kind of bring him back at all, I understand it. Uh, they could still surprise and maybe take Paxton. Maybe they like Paxton Lynch and they take him at, at number eight. Or maybe in the second or third round, they take a player that they that Hugh Jackson really feels like he can work with it and mold into a quarterback in a year or two. You're right. It's one of those things that we're going to look back on this two, three years from now and say, you know, if the Eagles found their franchise quarterback, the Browns are going to be kicking themselves. But if, if that's not the case and the, and the Browns hit on one, two, all three of those picks, then they're looking brilliant. So it's just one of those things where you have to wait and see, unfortunately. Now, with both of these trades that have gone down, with Rams moving up to one, Eagles moving up to two, um, I I think I, I text, texted Drew about it. With those two moves happening, there's no way that Paxson Lynch leaves the top ten. Do you feel the same way? I'm pretty confident he's he's gone by the top 12 at least because 
I think at, what, 11, you have like the Bears or something like that. Uh, uh, so somewhere in that range, absolutely. And if you, even if a team does, doesn't want Lynch, now they have uh, some leverage against some of those quarterback needy teams that might be calling saying, you know, what do you want for this pick? They, they can kind of leverage that now. That's extremely true. So moving on, this a couple days ago, ESPN Steve Pelizzolo put out a list of prospects that you know, just taking a look at you know, their tape and taking a look at how much love they've gotten through this pre-draft process, they don't seem to stand up to all the hype that they've gotten, according to Pro Football Focus. Now, you've done some work with Pro Football Focus, or at least once you did. You say you guys disagreed on something. Now, I agreed with a handful of the guys who are on those lists, and I, I go to Pro Football Focus, and I tend to find myself agreeing with some of their metrics, but not all of them. So it's interesting. I think in, in, the, you know, in the essence of Bill's conversation, it's interesting to take a look at some of the guys who they put on this list who have been mocked to Buffalo throughout this draft process. Now, the first one that comes to mind is Christian Hackenberg. He was talking about all morning long on WGR, WGR on the Howard Simon Show this morning. Ryan, I don't know about you, but I look at Hackenberg and I see a guy. Now, he's not completed 60% of his throws in, a, in any one of his seasons. People tell me that doesn't matter. People say, oh, that's an archaic, you know, it's an archaic way to look at things. But I feel like it's not, especially now as these spread offenses become more and more prevalent. I feel like quarterbacks' completion percentages should be rising compared to that. You know, if you look at the guys who didn't complete at least 60% of their passes and were drafted in the NFL, you've got Kyle Bullard, Derek Anderson, Sean Hill, <laughs> Josh McCown, Brian Hoyer. These are the types of quarterbacks who come out of college never completing 60% of their passes in a single season. Do you personally want any one of those guys in our roster? No, absolutely not. And I'm not very high on Christian Hackenberg either. Um, you know, his footwork has been a mess. I think there's a big confidence issue there too. And, and it doesn't help that Penn State's offensive line was a joke for the you know, last two seasons. He flashed some ability with Bill O'Brien. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of the hype surrounding him came from. And, you know, if he landed with the Texans as a backup where he could sit a few years, obviously, behind Osweiler, I think that'd be a great situation for him. But he has so many flaws and accuracy being another one, which you mentioned, that I, I would want to stay away from him. If he had some more intangibles that you that you like, maybe you take a risk on him. But I, I just don't see it either. Um, my dad's a big Penn State fan. I've watched plenty of Christian Hackenberg, and, and I didn't come away overly impressed. My fear is that he's Ryan Mallett 2.0. I watch a lot of SEC football. I'm a Bama fan. So <laughs> when I watched Ryan Mallett play, I liked Mallett. I did. I, I fell in love with Ryan Mallett. And then I saw what he was at the pro level, and I, I was almost mad at myself. for Because I used to talk about, oh, the, I'm so pissed the Patriots got him and that they drafted him. He's going to be their next stud quarterback, and he just flamed. And then when he had the chance to win a job, not only did they get rid of him because they realized he was nothing, but then when he got to Houston, he had a shot at winning a job and couldn't do it. And it made me sort of mad at myself because it made me second-guess my ability to look at the quarterback position as a whole. I see a lot of Ryan Mallett and Christian Hackenberg. 
the guy's got a, he's got a strong arm. No one can take that away from him. But he's got he doesn't have a lot of mobility. His footwork is terrible. It's I don't know. And then I hear that John Gruden goes on record to, and talks about him possibly being a first rounder. That's lunacy to me. That is, you know, but the thing about John Gruden is he's never met a football player. He doesn't like, it seems like, uh, you want, you know, anytime you see him on Monday night football, he's talking about how great every single player is. And I'm sure he had him on that court, his quarterback camp show. And I'm sure mm-hmm. that Hackenberg could answer all the questions, but to come out and say that you'd be shocked if he wasn't a first round pick it is kind of a, uh, asinine statement, but I, I guess if you get that run of three quarterbacks in the first round, maybe anything can happen late in the first round. Maybe Connor Cook goes. Maybe Hackenberg is a shock and he goes. I I would be stunned, but I, I guess anything can happen. Now, uh, Ryan, one of the quarterbacks that Drew had mentioned in the uh, list of quarterbacks who have completed under 60% completion, do you remember that one time that Cleveland beat Buffalo and I'm looking at this on my phone right now. Derek Anderson, two completions, 17 attempts, 23 yards, and a pick for a 6-3 to Cleveland win in Buffalo. That game, I honestly, Ryan, I don't know about you. I'm sure you remember it because it was the most painful thing in the entire universe to watch. I'd almost rather get another crown put on than have, than have to rewatch that football game. I feel like we should just, as Bills fans, throw the tape. Like We should pretend like that never happened. Just throw the tape out. If anyone brings it up, just deny that it actually exists. That was one of the worst Bills games I've ever watched. And it it might not be the right year, but I want to say that the Bills used a picture of Brian Mormon punting from that game for their season tickets the next year. They had that on the cover. Of, Of all pictures, they used Brian Mormon punting out of his end zone that tells you a lot about the Bills over the years. That that, that was one of their season ticket pictures, but I, I, I that stuck with me. So I want to say it was from that that game too, and which was wow. awful. That's that's god awful. That was, that game uh, came after the previous season where we had lost eight nothing in the snow in Cleveland for <laughs> I think what was like our last chance at the playoffs. Stop laughing. <laughs> I hate it when he gets, he seems like he's so happy about the fact that we've sucked for a decade and a half. Those games were pretty painful with the Browns over the years, though. They really have been. Yeah, I'm I'm super pumped that, you know, and it seems like it's a yearly thing, us versus the Browns, because they're like, let's make these two. It's almost like the less, I, I look at it like the rest of the league sits back on that day. They were like, let's make two of the most snake-bitten teams in NFL history just play each other. Let's make them play each other and see if something hilarious happens. And typically it does. The game where both of our quarterbacks leave with knee injuries. I was just thinking of that. Like, it was literally in my head. No, that, that was an, And it was on Thursday night football, too. And, on and it was one of those games where actually EJ Manuel was actually playing well. I, I don't. I don't think his actually or his stats were more mind blowing. But he was moving the ball with ease that game. Yep. And then he runs out of bounds and he and he hurts his knee and and that yeah that game was awful. And that was the if like if two teams can get together and both of their backup quarterbacks are playing by halfway through the, you know halfway through the game, it would be the Browns and the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> so moving on, the next player on their 
pro football focuses overrated list is Darren Lee, linebacker out of Ohio State. Now, I've gone on record and said that I do not want Darren Lee anywhere near my football team. I've maybe a little unfairly referred to him as Keith Ellison 2.0. All I know is that a small linebacker who his game is based on athleticism. Okay, He's got speed and he gets in space. He doesn't have size and he doesn't have strength, so he can't shed blocks. You're talking about a Rex Ryan defense where you need a legitimate inside linebacker. You put Darren Lee out there on the field, okay, he might be quick coming around the corner on a blitz, and maybe he can drop into space and cover a slot receiver, but he can't body up with Martellus Bennett. Okay, And at the same time, he's not going to get downfield on a running play and you know shed a block from a from a guard and get to the running back. He's not going to make that play. So I hate it when I see him mocked to the Buffalo Bills. What what's your take on Darren Lee? You know, I think you make some good points there. Uh I'm a little higher on him than you than you are, but but it doesn't seem like that takes much. It seems like you don't like him much at all. <laughs> I, I agree though. He he's definitely an athlete and that's that's the trouble. When you draft an athlete, that doesn't mean they're going to develop into a football player or a stud football player. And in the first round, that's what you want to get. But at the same time, the Bills have a Mike linebacker in Preston Brown who isn't very athletic, uh, ha- has some issues, had some issues last year especially with the Bills. And, and you want to match him up with someone who has some athleticism. So maybe that's what's meant. Made a lot of the people maybe reach for Lee with the Bills, uh, although I, I do kind of see that as a potential fit. He he can cover. Uh, I know his coverage grades weren't the greatest, but he has the, I guess, again, the athleticism to cover, and it's something maybe you could teach him. But at the same time, you make some good points about can he body up, could he tackle or bring down a Martellus Bennett or a Rob Gronkowski? Uh, can he make plays in the run game? So there are some legitimate questions about him. And seeing some of the major draft analysts say that they have him as number 11, number 12 player on their boards, it, it could end up being one of those picks that we look back on in a few years and say, man, what were we all thinking or, or what were they thinking? Well, that's what I think with Deion Jordan. And in, in all honesty, that's what Darren Lee reminds me of. Now, he's a guy who's mocked to a position. He's going to play a position on the field that I don't think he's big enough or physical enough to play. I didn't think Deion Jordan was was big enough or physical enough at the point of attack to play defensive end in the NFL. Maybe he's a stand-up outside linebacker, but he didn't have the fluid hips enough to turn around and cover, but also kind of string linebackers, I mean, running backs out into the flat. So they pegged him as a defensive end, and teams tried to ride with that. And Deion Jordan, I mean, he went number three overall, to the, and he's been nothing. So That's it's very true. Yeah, I mean, he, he hasn't panned out whatsoever dealing with suspensions who knows what he'll even do this year in Miami Mm -hmm. so and that's the thing he just he scares it scares me that you know a player like it and right here pro football focus out of 134 attempted tackles over the last two years so that's 134 over the last two years now most interior linebackers in the NFL if you're getting tackles you're getting at least 90 a season right 90 to 100 so out of 134 he missed 25 that would put him in the top 10 for missed tackles in any given season. That That's an absolute concern as well. It, if you can't make the tackles, um, you're not going to be a very popular pick, first of all. But you, you need a guy that's going to produce on the field, and, and that is a major concern. Absolutely. 
Now, uh, Ryan, one one of the things that that I was going to ask you is, I don't follow the uh, the draft as much as Drew does, and Drew kind of keeps me posted on, on on who the Bills are looking at and all that. And when he had said uh, Duran Lee as a possible uh, draft choice for the Bills, and had also mentioned the fact that he was undersized. Now, the la- for me, the last undersized linebacker that I have heard of coming out of the draft going to Buffalo was a draft where, as a fan, I was interested in Brian Arakpo, but the Buffalo Bills took some small linebacker, Aaron Maben. Is there any correlation between the way that Darren Lee plays to how uh, Aaron Maben was when he came out of the draft? You know, I wouldn't say direct correlation because at Penn State you, you had Maben as more of a defensive end, um, and he he was definitely a one year wonder where he kind of exploded in that, that last year. But I I still remember that too, where there was at least stories, and I don't know if it was ever confirmed, where Joe Paterno was going around telling teams, oh, they would he would definitely not draft Maben in the first round, and yet for whatever reason the Bills went out and decided to make him their their guy. I was an Arakpo fan that year as well, and I was hoping that would be the the pick for the Bills. I, I still remember that vividly. Um, yeah, that that will definitely go down as one of the Bills' worst draft picks of all time. So I, I don't want to say that there's similarities with the league because I want to at least give the guy a shot in the league, and, and it won't take much for him to have a better career than Maven. That's for sure. Yeah, no, no, it won't. Oh man, that draft was one of the more depressing moments of my Bills fandom. I was doing the we've got. I, I was doing the Arakpo dance. I was so pumped that we were going to get Brian Arakpo, and then I saw them flip to a shot of Aaron Maben on the phone, and I was like, "No, no, he must be talking to some other team." No, no, no. And then they said the pick was in, and I literally just took my shirt, opened it up, stuffed about seven beers in it, took a chair from the kitchen table, and I had a party going on. There's about thirty people at my house, and I went and sat in the backyard by myself. Until the sun went down, and I was just out there. I'm like, everyone just leave me alone. <laughs> and I'm trying to think back because they all kind of blend together in my mind now. I want to say that the Bills had some really good picks after that. I want to say oh, that was yeah. the end. They also had Eric Wood in, late in the first round. Jerry that was a pick that they had acquired. I think that was the same year that they picked up Jared, or they drafted Bird, mm-hmm. and possibly Levitri too. Yep. Um, and, oh, no. And if you, you, you know for him next year. Okay, I couldn't remember that off the top of my head, but you know, if, if you would have hit that Maven pick with an Arakpo who hasn't been a superstar, but he's been a solid player, that draft would have been looked at as a guy a draft where you got you know three solid guys back to back to back. I just know that someone came outside and tried to cheer me up. They're like, "Hey, well, we got this guy, Jarius Bird, and everyone's really excited." You know, I'm reading online here that everyone's super excited, but at that point, I was already about 14 beers in. And I just remember throwing beer cans and yelling a lot. (laughs) I wanted everyone the hell away from me. It was depressing. (laughs) The next guy on the list is, and it sucks to put him here because I'm a huge Alabama fan. And And I'm a huge Auburn fan. Oh, my God. We butt heads about this constantly. Ashawn Robinson from Alabama. I get it. He's He's a physical player, and he's a monster when he's... You know, it seems like some games you don't hear hear much about him. And then in some games, like that LSU game, he was instrumental in us taking over the line of scrimmage. 
We held Leonard. We gave Leonard Fournette nothing, and we made that quarterback try to win the game. And that's the reason that Alabama came out with the W. Their running game got nothing, and a lot of it was because Ashawn Robinson was there plugging, you know, taking on multiple blocks, double teams, triple teams on a couple plays, where he's just manning the line by himself. He's a, he's a road grader against the run, but he has almost no he has almost no pass rush. You know, 2014, Pro Football Focus ranked him at 194th in all of college football in pass rushing. And then he only improved in his senior year to 115th last year. So I guess if you're looking for a, a giant gap-blocking guy, that's great. But can you put, would you, Ryan, spend a first-round pick on that, knowing that he's never going to get close to the quarterback? Yeah, that, that's the tough call because you could get a, a dominant guy for the first two downs but then you're taking him off the field on third downs or teams are going to adjust to you if you have that and they're going to just be pass happy. And then all of a sudden you're talking about a, a guy that can be dominant, but the other team's offenses are keeping him off the field. So there's a lot I like about his game. Maybe if you surround him with talent, he can do a little bit more as a pass rusher, but, but that is a huge concern. And, and I would have trouble justifying it until at least a little Late first round. I could see him falling, though, to early second round. So at 19, if the Bills picked him, you'd be pissed. I wouldn't be thrilled. In my mind, I want to say there'd be some more talented guys that would be on the board that I think would be better fits for them. But, you know, I I guess you have to see how how it falls. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't be thrilled if that was the case. All right. Well, Mel Kuyper did a three round mock. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at it this week. Have you? I have. Okay. So I just I'm looking at it and I'm wondering, do I buy or sell this? You know, is he actually putting any effort into these picks that he's making for the Buffalo Bills? I broke them down round by round. I want to talk to you about him. Now, the first one, he has us taking at 19, and he there's no trades involved. So every pick is where we're drafting. Emmanuel Ogba, he mocks to the Buffalo Bills at 19, defensive end out of Oklahoma State. This pick just it gets under my skin. I don't know. I, Kevin Dodd's still on the board. Leonard, Leonard Floyd is still on the board when Kuiper makes this pick to us. But then you look at what even ESPN has put on their website, and they say that he's an inconsistent player who's fit for a 4-3 defense. What sense does that pick make? You know, I, I will say this. He he has he, he's one of the biggest boomer bust guys, I think, in this draft class that's going to go in the first uh, 30, 40 picks. Um, he has some potential as an edge rusher, but th- there's a lot of question marks for him, and, and you're right. Especially with uh, Floyd on the board, with with Dodd on the board, it, it wouldn't make much sense for the Bills to go that route. Um, I, I personally really like Leonard Floyd. I think he'd be a better fit. Edge rusher guy you can play inside, inside linebacker as well from time to time, but you know, the, the Bills have kicked the tires on Agba. They brought him in for a pre-draft visit. They, they've inquired about him. So there is there could be some interest, but I, I would sell on that too based on the talent that was still on the board. Absolutely. With the second round pick at number 49, Mel Kuyper has us taking Michael Thomas, wide receiver out of Ohio State. I can absolutely see the logic here because our coaching staff – has gone out of their way to talk about our need 
for another receiver. You know, a legitimate number two. And, I mean, if you look at what we've done in the offseason, we've brought in every prospect. Greg Little, Jarrett Boykin, you know, all of these names that we've, Leonard Hankerson, all these guys we've been stacking up as free agents. We're bringing them in because at one point they were thought to be legitimate number two wide receivers. They all have experience. And everyone knows that the learning curve for a rookie wide receiver is a lot bigger than most other positions. So I can see, you know, I, I can see people clearly that's a need that the front office recognizes. And by all accounts, Thomas is a good athlete, right? Yeah. And he's also a big guy or a bigger guy. So he, he fits the the mold of what the Bills would like in a number two pick. So I, I definitely understand where Kuyper's coming from in that regard. Um, I could see the Bills staying with defense, though, in round two. There's going to be some quality safeties that start coming off the board. Uh, Carl Joseph is a player that I really like out of West Virginia that could go there. There's more front seven players you could take. But if you're, if you're looking at wide receiver, uh, uh, Michael Thomas, if he's there, would be good. They could surprise you and go with a, a Braxton Miller, who's a, an athlete, raw, um, but, you know, Bucky Brooks recently had something saying that he sees uh, he sees him going anywhere from pick 49 to pick 80, which are both Buffalo Bills picks. So I don't know if he knows something about Buffalo's interest, uh, but Braxton Miller was even mentioned at today's pre-draft luncheon. And uh, Jimano said that he sees Miller being able to play right away in the NFL. So maybe there's interest there, too. So a wide receiver does make a lot of sense. Um, especially in the first three, four rounds where they could get a guy that they think could develop into a number two. Yeah, I can see that. I guess the only thing about, again, once again, if you look at who else is left on the board, I think that Kuiper made these picks expecting that we're dumbasses, like that our GM is just a dumbass. Because in this mock, Vernon Butler, Robert Kimdichie, and Connor Cook are all still on the board. Now, Am I wrong, or would you take any one of those three over Michael Thomas? I, I am a, a huge Vernon Butler fan. I would be okay if the Bills took Vernon Butler at pick 19. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how much I like him. He's, he's drawn comparisons to Muhammad Wilkerson, and we all know that Rex Ryan you know, was able to get a lot out of Muhammad Wilkerson, and I see the talent there. I, I could really see him thriving under Rex Ryan and the Bills. So if he was on the board at pick 49, and I would hope that the Bills would race to the podium to take him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Nkandichi, I like him as well. He was actually <clears throat> who I mocked in my most recent mock draft to the Bills in the second round. Uh, he was actually my very first mock draft, Buffalo's second round pick, where people were saying there's no way he falls. Talent-wise, he he has flashed at times. Dominant. He's been a dominant guy at times, but there's some red flags there. Um, also, he that's the thing. He's flashed at times. He hasn't been a consistent player. So, but I, yeah, I would definitely take either of them. I have some questions about Connor Cook in terms, again, of his accuracy. But if you're if the Bills are looking for a quality backup quarterback, Cook would probably be one of the better guys in that second tier that they would want to have. So, yeah, I could understand any of those picks and probably take them over Mike Michael Thomas. Cook would be the only one I would really have to think about and maybe lean towards Thomas. And then finally, in round three, Willie Beavers is who he mocks for us as a third-round pick, who, by all accounts, is slated as a guard but listed as a tackle out of Western Memphis. Now, I haven't seen a whole lot of him with my own two eyes. I'll be honest, because I don't follow Western Memphis football. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't. I just haven't gone out of my way to look at that because I never expected anyone slated to be a guard would be a draft pick of the Buffalo Bills at this point. I mean, we took we took Miller last year. We just re-signed Richie Incognito. I feel like there's if you're going to look for a good guard, you're going to take him in round two, maybe round three. But I think here when you're trying to rebuild your defense, especially if in Kuyper's stance you took a wide receiver in the second round, you have to go defense in round three then because we still don't have the linebacker depth that we that we needed. So for him to make that pick just makes it seem stupid to me, especially with guys like Jeremy Cash, Joshua Perry, and Shalik Calhoun all still on the board. What do you think? You know, the three players you just listed, I would definitely take in a heartbeat uh, over Willie Beavers. Beavers is a guy that projects to be an NFL starter um, and, and could end up being a guard that plays he has a great, you know, eight, ten year career in the NFL. You, you never know. But at the same time, you're right. Based on his Kuiper's draft, if the Bills take offense with two of their first three picks, there's going to be a lot of upset fans. Despite knowing that it's a very deep defensive draft, you're just letting some really talented guys go. If if you're spending those first three picks and two of them are on offense, now if they trade back and they add another second round, another third round pick, so be it. Mix it up however you want, but. In, in the first three rounds, I would like to see at least two defensive guys go. Maybe all three be defensive players. Well, I can tell because I've got your mock draft up here, your most recent piece, just posted right before we got on the air. So with the first pick in the draft, well, our first pick in the draft, and number 19, you have the Bills taking Leonard Floyd. So you really like Floyd. You think he's a viable prospect. I, I really do. I, I think... He's the guy that's an edge rusher. He can start right away for the Bills. And considering the lack of depth they have, even an inside linebacker, you can play him there as well. He played a little bit of inside linebacker at Georgia. Uh, Rex Ryan went to Georgia's Pro Day personally. He spoke about it on the John Murphy show saying, you know, I went to Clemson and Georgia's Pro Days and I was there to watch the defense. So he pretty much came right out and said, I was there to watch defensive players. And and I'm thinking Floyd caught his eye if he brought him in for a pre-draft visit and they've done their homework on him. He is that movable chess piece, and there's nothing that Rex Ryan likes more than guys who are versatile that you can use in different capacities and different ways. So if he's on the board, I would be very happy with that pick at 19. And then with the second round pick, pick number 49, you've got Robert Kimdichie out of Ole Miss. Now you say he fits as a 3-4 DN. Do you truly believe that? I do truly believe that. I think, again... He's that type of player that Rex Ryan could work wonders with in the 3-4. Um, my only concern is I could also, not necessarily a concern, is I could see the Bills, though, taking a nose tackle there. There's some really talented guys that would be available at that point where you can move Marcel Darius then back to a defensive end where he, I think his skill set could be utilized more. But I, I do think that the Bills could end up getting a, um, a steal of the draft at pick 49 there. I've said throughout the process, though, that Encomdici has more red flags than a double there, of course, if you remember that show back on Nickelodeon the day. Who doesn't? Uh, but, with the, with, with the, uh, with the, what was it? Oh, man, the slime that would get dumped on people? Slime, oh, yeah, hosted by, by Mark Summers. Mark so, yeah, Summers. That, that was a part of my childhood. All right. I, uh, Ryan, you think MDJ will fall all the way to 49? I don't know for sure, but, I, you know, I, I'm kind of happy because my first mock draft, I said second round, a lot of red flags, the whole incident, him falling out of the hotel window, 
Um, but he, he has been very open and honest about the incident. He kind of threw some teammates under the bus about it. But the thing is, now I'm starting to see mock dress where, sure enough, he's going in the second round, sometimes before pick 49, sometimes even after pick 49. So, he, you know, all it takes is one team to fall in love with you and take you in the first round or before pick 49. But I, I'm saying it's definitely a possibility that he falls. Now, I'm reading through the rest of your mock draft. You have Cardell Jones going third. Now, I'd say over a month ago when I was talking about the NFL draft, I said that I think that in the first three rounds, in no particular order, the Bills will go defensive line, linebacker, and quarterback. And it seems like you, you, you agree with me on that, that you think that that's, they recognize that their front seven needs help, but at the same time they still recognize that they need a quarterback to develop for the future. They have to have at least one. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I've had Cardell Jones actually as Buffalo's first fourth-round pick in a few of my mock drafts. Um, but I, I changed him to a third-round pick just based on the fact that you're going to probably see two quarterbacks go 1-2. You're probably going to see Lynch go in the top 12. You could see a team like the Broncos or the Jets get desperate or maybe mm-hmm. trade back so they could pick a guy like Connor Cook or something like that um, late first, early second round. And all of a sudden, if the Bills want to get their guy, they probably can't wait much longer than the third round. Um, you know, I saw um, a few fo- oh, a former scout, Greg uh, Abraham, or I'm, I'm Greg Abe is his Twitter handle, saying that he saw he knows that there's one team that the offensive coordinator is, is pounding the table to get Kevin Hogan in the second round, um, and he goes, well, "Offensive coordinators don't make that pick, but if, if quarter." You know, if teams are that desperate for quarterbacks, a guy like Cardale Jones, guys like Christian Hackenberg and Kevin Hogan, I think they're going to go earlier than some people anticipate. Where if you just look at it from a talent standpoint, you're saying, okay, this is a, a day three pick. Um, but quarterback driven league, if you're if you're desperate enough or you want to get that backup quarterback, you're going to have to take him earlier than than a lot of fans would expect. <laughs> oh, Ryan, you're killing me because. I've had a hard on. We love Kevin Hogan. Over two two years, I've had a hard on for Kevin Hogan. And I've been always dreaming that he falls us in like the fourth or fifth round and becomes our version of Tom Brady. So don't ruin it for me by telling me somebody out there wants him earlier than that. (laughs) Anyway, I I like Kevin Hogan too. My only concern about him is the arm strength. Yeah. uh, And and the fact that Buffalo's offense was was a vertical offense this past year under Tyrod Taylor. And I think they'd have to have a, a much different offense if he ever was to be the guy now a lot of people uh, draft pundits have uh compared kevin hogan's uh throwing motion to philip rivers yeah you know he has an awkward motion a throwing motion but if you know we all know that philip rivers does as well and he he's been a very successful in the nfl uh, i'd say borderline hall of fame quarterback um so it you know the the wind up isn't a huge concern of mine. You you want a quarterback that can get the ball out. You want a quarterback that can anticipate where the the players are going to be rather than kind of throw to them, which is something a big knock that's on Tyrod Taylor right now. And I do think Hogan ha- has some positives in his game, but that's one thing I am worried about is the fact of his arm strength. So I'm going to take a quick run through the rest of your mock draft here. I mean, I'm intrigued by some of these picks. K.J. Dillon out of West Virginia. I mean, everyone's I, talking about Carl Joseph. They forgot about Dillon. Exactly. And and I, I, 
I love Carl Joseph, and if the Bills took Carl Joseph in the second round, I'd be thrilled. I think he might be end up being the most talented safety in this draft class. But K.J. Dillon has a lot that you like, too. He, he is very aggressive. Um, he's good in the run game. He's pretty good also in, in terms of uh, pass coverage, things of that nature. He's someone that in Buffalo you could sit for a year, you know, not as a starter, rotate him in behind Aaron Williams, behind Cor- uh, Corey Graham, and, and gradually move him along. He's not someone that you have to put in right away. And, and he could learn a lot from Ed Reed in one year, I think, and come out the 2017 and compete for a starting job. Now, in the fourth round, you've got Malcolm Mitchell. Malcolm Mitchell sticks out to me in my head because I remember the Tennessee game where Tennessee beat Georgia. And Malcolm Mitchell's running down the post route, just a fly post route, and the ball just – he's in the end zone. I mean, it's a touchdown. It's a game-winning touchdown all day, and the ball just goes straight through his hands. Straight through his hands. I don't know. I don't know if – I mean, what, do you see enough in him that you think he's worth a draft pick? I, I do. I I am a huge fan of his game. I think that when we look back on this draft class, he ends up being a top 10 wide receiver, maybe top five wide receiver from this draft class. That's how high I am on him. And, and that was definitely a painful moment for him, I'm sure. But at the same time, uh, there's a lot to like about his game. Route running, he he is a terrific route runner, which you, you can't say about a lot of these guys. Uh, wide receivers coming out right away anymore. No, I think he's very underrated and one of my favorite prospects in this entire draft class. So in the fifth round, you have James Bradbury, a cornerback out of Samford. Now, besides size, I mean, Samford, I don't know how you know, the competition that he played, you even make a note about it here. You know, If anyone wants to go yeah. and check out his article at scout.com, you're more than welcome to. But the pick out of the last the last of your rounds here that really intrigues me is Antonio Morrison. You think that he's going to drop to the sixth round. Now, he's a linebacker out of Florida, inside linebacker. People are afraid of him because I understand coming in with a knee injury and the fact that he's got short arms makes it a little bit harder for him to stack and shed blocks. But that guy doesn't quit. He plays mean. He plays nasty. He plays downhill. What is it about his game that makes you think he's going to be there in the sixth round? You, you know, I, I think you hit upon it. The injury concerns, I, I think that they're going to have to – he had an, an amazing comeback, though, being able to play this mm-hmm. season. But there's going to be some concerns there. Uh, I, I think that people are going to question what he's going to be at the next level in the NFL in terms of a lack of athleticism. Uh, in, in a way, he, he reminds me a lot of Preston Brown, where he could back up Brown in that regard. He's not the guy that can go out and, and cover uh, players successfully. But you're right. He has that motor that's nonstop. Uh, and, and I just see him falling just because this class itself, there's so much talent elsewhere on the defensive side of the ball that I think teams are going to have a hard time justifying taking him in the, the fourth, fifth round when you know, maybe linebackers need, but maybe there's a guy that has a second round grade and they're still on the board on a team's draft board. And at that point, you can't pass up that talent. So overall grand scheme of things in terms of the, the defensive depth in this class, that's one of the reasons I see him falling. Well, it'll be interesting to see how it all play, you know, plays out on draft day. Now, Ryan, I got one last question for you. What do you do during the NFL draft? Now, I know you have two kids. You know, you're married. 
What do you do for the draft? Do you stay home? Do you go out and watch it with friends? Go to a bar? What are your, you know, what's your usual routine? I'm usually camped out at home watching the draft. Sometimes I have a friend or two come over. Uh, you know, we make a big, sometimes we make a big game out of it in terms of predicting what, who the team's going to pick. Uh, make a little game out of it in terms of writing your picks down ahead of time. Doing a first round mock like right there and then before the, the draft takes place. And whoever has the most picks correct or in the right draft position, at least if a trade takes place, you get certain points and, and you know, we, we make kind of betting games out of it. We have fun with it that way. So usually at home though, I'm not, I'm not big into being into a bar to watch the draft. I like to actually listen to what the analysts say. And, and that capacity is very tough to do. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's true. And the last time I was at a bar to watch the NFL draft was when the bills drafted EJ Manuel. And I've never seen a bar clear out faster than that. <laughs> I won't do it again I just because I think it might be a, a, a move that made a lot of fans happy. It, it, I, I won't go back to a bar just because I feel like that might have been my fault. Like that's the superstitious <laughs> like fan in it. me. Like I'm like, oh, no, this is my fault because I was at a bar. I should have stayed home. They wouldn't have screwed this up. For well, me, for me, the, the last draft I saw at a bar is when I was living in Atlanta at the time. And the Bills backers of Atlanta did a huge thing at Hudson Grill in Midtown Atlanta. And the pick came, and Goodell came to the board and announced the Buffalo Bills select running back C.J. Spiller. And you could hear the whole bar collectively go, what? <laughs> I remember that, too. Just The Bills already had so much talent running back. I know Lynch was kind of already on his way out the door because he had incidents. Um, back-to-back years, but they had talent there. They didn't. That was a need pick, or wasn't a need pick, I should say. But it was one of those things where everyone was saying, "Oh, Spiller's the most explosive guy in this draft class." And I and I still remember Buddy Nix referring to the fact that the Bills needed a water bug. They kept calling him a water bug a back, and sure enough, they took Spiller and he called him his water bug back. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. That a friend of mine flat out said it two days beforehand, and then bet me fifteen dollars, and. A naked lap around the house that he was going to be our first round pick, and that's a shame bet that I'll, I'll, I'll admit that I lost. <laughs> I just didn't see it. I'm huge on shame bets, and that's one of the ones I lost. This year's draft, it's coming up next weekend. I'll say this: anybody out there who's listening to our podcast, we're going to be broadcasting from from the draft. We're going to be doing it live in my girlfriend's basement. <laughs> it's not exactly from the draft. So we're going to be putting it out on Friday night. We're going to have first round, second round, and third round coverage. And that's going to be our report next week. Now, Ryan, again, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your website? Can to give yourself a shout out before we go? Sure. You can find Buffalo Football Report on scout.com. If you just go to scout.com, you can search and navigate through the NFL pages to find the bills. You can also find me on Twitter at Ryan Talbot Bills. Ryan, I appreciate you so much for coming on our show tonight. It's been a lot of fun talking with you about football, or at least having someone to talk about the draft with. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me on. <laughs> oh, well, from the Rock Power Report and everybody else here, <laughs> I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Thanks for stopping by. <laughs>